My guest today is CEO of Profit Builders, named as one of the best sales leadership coaching organizations worldwide. He has delivered his programs to over 3 million sales leaders in practically every industry on six continents and over 75 countries. Inc. Magazine, Fast Company, named Keith as one of the most influential executive coaches. He's also been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. Magazine, Fortune, New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. And Keith has written several bestsellers, including Own Your Day, Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions, winner of five international best book awards and the number one best-selling sales management coaching book on Amazon for, for the last seven consecutive years. His latest book, Sales Leadership, was named 2018 Sales Book of the Year. And I'm only half done with his introduction. I don't have any more time. So why don't we meet the man, the myth, the legend. Pleasure being here, Paul. Looking forward to diving into a good conversation. Before we do, Keith, I have to tell you a quick story. Okay. You know those, something happened to me on the way to the office. Literally, I was home for lunch, sitting across the table from my good wife. And she said, so what's, what, what's happening this afternoon? I said, oh, I said, I'm uh, going to be uh, interviewing Keith on my podcast. She said, Keith who? And Keith Rosen, I said. And she has her iPad beside her, and she looks you up. And she goes, uh, Keith Rosen, executive coach. I said, yeah, yeah, that's the guy. And then her eyes, I am not, I, this is not a word of a lie, her eyes just bug out. <laughs> and she said, he works out. I said, uh, I don't know. I said, uh, I'm sure he does. And then she turns the iPad around. Now, people watching this have no idea what I'm talking about. So maybe I could share this with them. This is the image. Keith. The guns on you. I mean, I, <laughs> if you could coach me to get that, hey. uh, I would be a happy man. Look at those. I mean, they you didn't get those overnight, man. So I tell you, I tell you, I, I, I thought you were going to show show them the picture of me on the beach, which uh, which you know. It, hey, listen, I, it, I I believe as a coach, you can't you know you can't take someone where you haven't been yourself, right, Paul? Where you, the question I have for you on the picture on the beach, I haven't seen it. Is were you wearing speedos? Uh, no, you know what? I'm going to just pa pass it up to my European friends that you guys can get away with it, and I definitely cannot get away with yeah, that Yeah, but one. here's the problem. You know, you know that when you say people don't think of pink elephants, people now have that image in their head. They're going to take that picture I showed them. They're going to put Speedos on it. <laughs> That's only, it's only if you, if you Photoshop it and put it back online there like that. <laughs> I'm good with Photoshop. You shouldn't have said that. Ouch. <laughs> You just put a, <laughs> you know I'm a photographer and, and put a I, I walked into that one, Paul. I walked you into did. that one. You did, you did. But I'll make you look, well, you already look great. So <laughs> appreciate it, appreciate it. And, and all, in all seriousness, no, and I'm sure we'll chat about this, especially today um, when, when people are, are, are literally living at, you know, at, at work and working at home, uh, self-care is one of the first things that gets thrown out the window. And yeah. uh, it's more important than ever that we really do take care of ourselves in mind, body, spirit, uh, yeah. physically, because it, it's really the only thing that we need to keep keep us going. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we can't take care of others. Can we talk about that? Actually, that's interesting because I do think it's it's to, to self care comes from a mindset, and I think where people are working from home, and maybe they're disconnected from their own social circle. Mm -hmm. I think you can you can you can easily fall into a place where 
it's not even just that self-care isn't on your agenda. It's almost like that it, 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 you don't want to do it because that's almost taking control in a situation where people feel out of control. Mm. You know, it's like those moments where you're trying to fall asleep and you're kind of thinking, okay, I need to relax, I need to relax. And of course, the more you think that, the less relaxed you are. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. wondering, have you any tips for people? Because clearly you're, you're a very disciplined person and you hold yourself accountable. Is, is there, I'm just curious to know, is there something in your growing up, was that always part of your personality? Is it something that you developed as you got older? Interestingly, I was always one who had a desire to give, whether it was through high school, through college. My friends in high school and college would come to me and say, Keith, you know, I got this problem. I don't know. It just, I guess I attracted that. And, and it always was so rewarding for me. And even to this day, I was actually talking to a client the other day and he asked me, Keith, you've been doing this for 34 years. You've, you've been in over 75 countries. You've been on six continents. You know, what drives you? I, I said, there's really three things that drive me, my three core priorities and values. It's, you know, my, my children, my wife, and it's making an impact, you know, and if I can honor that core value, you know, to me, you know, it's sort of like you give, you know, you get what you give. And, and, and to me, that's the most important thing, uh, especially today to be selfless as a leader. Mm. I'm curious to know, though, in terms of discipline, uh, where, where you get that from. I see it in individuals and I see it in all successful people that they're very disciplined about yeah. their behavior, about what they do. And that shows up not just in what they bring to work, but also in their private life, the times they set aside for family, but also the times they, they set aside to work out in the gym mm -hmm. where people mm -hmm. sometimes who are less successful often kind of procrastinate on these things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I wonder if you have any, you know, what do you do on those times when you're most challenged in that area? How do sure. you find resolve absolutely so i you know i think uh, you know i'll i'll ask the the rhetorical question i ask every every leader every person out there in the world if you were to look at your calendar you know if i had a pad in front of me it would probably look like uh you know um uh just like a a, 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 a lot of white space just a lot of white space right and and in that calendar i would I, they, I would ask them when i'm coaching people on time management you know send me what your calendar looks like and they'll send it to me it'll just be you know maybe meetings spattered around through the week. And I would say to them, wow, you have so much free time. And they say, what are you talking about, Keith? I'm so busy. I'm back-to-back -back meetings. I have stuff going on at home. I'm trying to balance everything. And I would look at them and I said, but, but it's, not on your, it's not on your calendar. And if you don't have the appointment, you don't have the commitment. So the rhetorical question I always ask people is, you know, if you showed me your calendar, um, would I see all the specific and measurable activities that you engage in every single day that not only move you closer to your goals at work and in business, but also keep your life in balance mm. and harmony. Mm. And I have yet to be in a group where someone raises their hand yeah. uh, because it's not something we're taught. Uh, I, time management is probably the number one biggest struggle uh, amongst people out there. And now it's amplified tenfold when you know our home is work and our work is our home you know and and i keep posing this question to people is listen are you are you living at work or are you working at home mm. it's a very interesting distinction 
right? Because the ones who are living at work are the ones that call me up at six in the morning saying, Keith, I've been on a Zoom call all day. I'm Zooming it out. I'm fatigued. You know, I, I, have no, I have no boundaries. I'm getting calls from my salespeople at nine o'clock at night. All of a sudden, weekends don't count because every day is whatever day. So I'm getting calls on the weekend too. Um, you know, there's no more line between life and work. It's just life. So the first thing I would implore anyone to do is take the time to track your day, see what you do, and take those specific and measurable activities and put them in your calendar. But most important, you have to schedule self-care. And that, that's the big thing that keeps me honest. Because, you know, as, as the CEO, who's holding me accountable other than my wife? But she's not holding me accountable every day and saying, hey, honey, did you go work out? You know, so that's in my calendar, and I, am, I empower my calendar to hold me accountable. And so, so that's just one thing that I do to really help maintain uh, a, a specific routine that as I follow, it will achieve the lifestyle I want to create. So it's like priority management rather than time management. I think maybe people are managing mm. the wrong thing. I, I have to ask you, though, um, does writing a Harley for an hour on a beautiful f February weekend, does that, does that count as self-care? I would say that is Definitely something that counts as self-care. Yes. Absolutely. Because yes. I am now going home to my wife this evening, and I said, Keith said, remember the guy with the guns? Paul, you have yourself, and here's a great way of doing it. Hey, Paul, you know, as I always say to my clients, listen, if, if you want to throw someone under the bus, you can always throw me under the bus. It's totally fine. I'll take it. So, absolutely. Now, now of course, you know, let's not get on the subject of motorcycles, because... That's a whole other conversation I could have with you because uh, I have my license too. But uh, I will tell you that um, you talk about this pandemic and, and I'm glad we're jumping around here is this past weekend um, was a year to date that I have not left my hometown. Uh, I haven't left my, my circle of influence of safe friends and family. I have not been in a restaurant. I certainly have not been in an airport. I, I never thought I would say to the day, I said it to my wife, honey, not only can I, can I not wait to fly, but I look forward to going to the airport, looking at the monitor, seeing my flight was delayed for three hours, and hanging out in the lounge. You know, it's just those little things. But the problem is now with time management, all of a sudden companies are like, whoa, well, you've got all this time now because you're not on the road, you're not traveling, so let's just fill it in with more, more, more you know, meetings. Listen to my words, everyone. That is something you are allowing. It is up to you to set the boundaries to protect your time and your day. Otherwise, either you're running your day or everyone else is doing it for you. There's a new term I've heard that I think is entering the lexicon. I only heard it from a client there last week, and she called it Zoom fatigue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, I, yeah. I never thought about it, but I guess it's a real thing that if you are doing all your meetings back to back, um, and you're doing it in your home, and yeah, it's 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 difficult, difficult. Yeah. Tell me, I have to ask you, because I, I did when I said there was another half to your bio, I wasn't joking, and there was the bit in there that was the, that I have to ask you about is Mad Men. What's oh, that? Geez. Right? I love that show, and I think Don Draper, he's the Don. Like in terms of sales <laughs> attitude, and he's just I've used his I'm an example many times, and I know he's a fictional character, but he's uh, he he's he's the goat. It really is. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of a funny story because, and again, I can't make this stuff up. I get pinged on LinkedIn the other day by some VP of sales 
uh, in Europe. And he says, hey, Keith, I'm really glad to connect. By the way, I saw that part of you in, in, in uh, box four set of, uh, of Mad Men. It was really cool. And anyway, I want to talk to you about bringing you in to, to, to you know, deliver my uh, leadership coach training course remotely. And I said, you saw that? He said, yeah. I said, it's the box set. He said, yeah. I put it on there, and uh, there you were. And I said, you are literally, and I think I did that 10 years ago, the fifth person who's ever actually noticed that I was there. So what they did was they brought me into Lionsgate Studios. Uh, they put me in the studio. They were having, they showed cuts of, of Draper, right, uh, and, and uh, how he managed. And then they would cut back to me because they wanted a subject matter expert. And I would sort of like critique and, and discuss and explore different ways about leadership. So it was pretty funny. And uh, I guess my claim to fame there. And so, and Alan, by the way, I'm taking it out of my bio because it's the least important thing. But for some reason, everyone's like, wait, but this that. is really cool. Yeah. And I have to ask you, what season, what episode? <laughs> season four box set. I'll send you the clip. Oh, excellent. Please do. Please do. And, and before you... All time, because I'll, I'll put it into the, into the video so people can see it. They know what we're talking about. <laughs> and, and before we move on, I have a question for you, my friend. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, in my office, welcome to my home. This is my happy place in my, my home office, and uh, I feel blessed I to have one. By the way, and I have a question before we finish. I assume you play, and I'd like yeah. you to play this out with something, but that's... Oh, wow. Can... That's, yeah, you should have prepped me for that one. But uh, I'm, I have something in my hand here, and uh, I'm just curious to know uh, if you can possibly remember where I got this and what it might be. I do. It's a slitter, and you got it at the All-Ireland semi-final, I believe. Was it Kilkenny and Limerick? Not Kilkenny and... Or Tipperary. It was Kilkenny, for sure. Yeah, Kilkenny. Yeah, Kilkenny and Limerick. I think you're right. Okay, yeah. Uh, what year it was? I guess 2012 or... Right there. You got it. Right around there, yeah. 2012. There you go. There you Good go. Good for you. And by, and by the way, we, we attended that game together. At Croke Park, yes. yes. Uh, one of the most exciting experiences of my life. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, it works. I, I noticed you're, you're a sports fan and not everybody gets to see and witness that because it's not well known outside of Ireland, but it's... Uh, a hurling match? No, 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 no. It, 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 and I love the NFL, but it makes them look soft. That's all I'm saying, you know? Kudos to those guys. You know, they're doing the same thing without, without uh, helmets on. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And by the way, I still have my stick. I should have brought that out for you. Yeah. There's a, in, in Ireland, you, you, you can tell what county somebody's from by what they call that stick. Some call it a hurl. Some call it a hurley. Ah. And, uh, people will get into fights over this, whether what's the correct term. So, uh, however. And uh, also, the other thing, before we, we do need to talk a little bit about coaching. I guess, I guess so. You had a new follower on Twitter. Who is that? Let us know that one. Man, that's, that's pretty funny. I would have never, ever have known. Mike, you know, and you know with kids, it's like, you know, you're telling me, guys, look what I'm doing. I'm making an impact out in the world like you're doing. You're doing fantastic work. We're doing what we love. We're following our passion. We're following our mantra while, while we're here on this planet to help people be successful. And I tell my kids, guys, look what I did. Look what daddy did. I wrote this book and, you know, I'm on this video. And they're like that. It's, I don't really care. 
son, you know, whatever, dad. And, and you know, I, I joke, I'll never forget with my three kids, uh, Jessica's now 21, my twins just turned 17. And I remember when my uh, daughter, my youngest daughter, being the, uh, the pistol that she is at about uh, 10 years old, we're in the kitchen and uh, joking around. I said, guys, you know your dad's an international man of mystery. You know that, right? You know, Austin Powers, right? Traveling all over the world. And my little daughter looks at me with my wife sitting next to her and she says, Dad, you're a local man of nothingness. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, leave it, to your, leave it to your clients to make you feel good and leave it to your family to just bring you back down to that reality. So, yeah, no, kids uh, are brilliant for that. I'll never forget my daughter. Actually, she's right, though. Paul, she was right. I, I tell I you, too. She thought she, my, my son said one day, he said to me, and hold that close, he said, Dad, you do know when you married mommy, you married up. Yes. True, yeah, I, that's I, been spoken. That too. Yeah, I have to tell you a quick one. My daughter once, now she's 19, but she was maybe four years of age, maybe three. And I'm sitting watching the TV, and I probably had a little bit of extra weight on me, right? Just sitting there. <laughs> she, and she comes over and stands and looks up at me, and she stands right between my knees. And she starts tapping on my stomach and she goes, Dad, can men have babies? Man, I tell you, it was the priceless. motivation I needed. I dropped a stone within a month. That's it was fantastic. the motivation I needed. Little uh, things. That's why our kids are our best coaches, right? Yeah, for sure. Listen, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about coaching. <laughs> and uh, there was a question I had which was maybe a little bit counterintuitive. But it was something that came up in an interview you gave to somebody else. Somebody asked you a question and you said, really, that's the wrong question. Mm. And so I wanted to ask you, what are all the wrong questions? Let's start with your top three that sales leaders ask you when they look at engaging your services first. The wrong questions. Yeah, I think the, the, the biggest wrong question is uh, more of, of why they're coming to me. I and, mean, you know, the good news, I applaud these companies that are realizing something has to change. I mean, we can't do more of what we keep doing. Uh, we can't continue to automate more and, and do more of the wrong things that, that, that aren't bringing us to the results we want. Because let's face it, as you know, more than anyone, Paul, sales landscape has changed. Buying patterns have changed. But only, what is it? I think I just read only 30% of salespeople have actually been trained on how to sell remotely. And, and it isn't even scarier thing is, is I was just looking at 73% of managers have never been trained how to coach or let a manage remotely. This, this, is, this is a recipe for disaster. And I'll say this, and I wanna go back to what you said here, you know, and, and the new sales strategy today, the new leadership strategy today is care. And, and, and if salespeople and managers aren't shifting their conversations, which they don't know how to, unless they're trained, they're not going to achieve the results they want because what worked in 2018 doesn't work today. So I just want to do, go back to your other point, if you don't mind uh, uh, reminding me of that. Yeah, it was about the wrong questions. What yeah. are the tip yeah, wrong questions that people yes. ask? Yes, so um, building, off, building off what I said, the first, the first uh uh, I guess, um, gauge when I know a company doesn't understand coaching is when they come to me and they say, okay, Keith, we want to build a coaching culture. And one of the things we want to do is we want our people to coach about 70% of the time. And I could be in, in a room or on a call with five, 10, you know, you know, 
decision makers and and people from L and D and 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 sales disablement and and uh, uh, you know and I would say to them, guys, you're asking me the wrong question. And they would say, well, what do you mean? And I would say to them, you're you're asking your managers to coach 70% of the time, which means you have no idea what coaching is because coaching is not something you measure. It's not something you do to people. It's not an event other than scheduling one-on-one coaching. Regardless, in every conversation, coaching is the language of leadership. Just like salespeople, the best salespeople are now learning to coach their customers. So if you look at coaching, it's just a language you're learning how to engage with people in a deeper level. So when they say, Keith, I want, to, I want my people to coach 70% of the time, no, it's you want your coach, people to coach all the time, and you want them to learn the language of coaching. Because that's how you shift the culture. That's interesting because you're, you're absolutely right. I've seen that in organizations where they'll drive metrics. I've had people ask me, uh, how, how do you measure the impact of coaching on the bottom line? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm kind of going, that's the wrong place to even look. It's what is it having impact on the individual? Yeah, exactly. And, and then it's their behavior has an impact on the bottom line, but it's about, I guess, shining a light into the blind spots and enabling uh, a, ch- a change in attitude, a change of behavior, but you're absolutely right. It's not, I don't think you can put metrics on it. I think that's a mistake. Well, um, and, and you know, I think that's, that's, that could be, a, that's a very interesting conversation to have there because uh, a lot of companies want those metrics. Um, some companies just know that um, their managers are just running around solving everyone's problems and making their people dependent on them even more than ever. So there's no growth, growth is stagnated and results are mediocre. So, you know, go, going back to my point about, you know, the coaching of 70%, even the companies that say, oh, I have a coaching culture, which, by the way, let's be clear, less than 1% of global companies have an authentic coaching culture. Happy for any company to call me and challenge me on that, okay? Uh, but, you know, getting back to that, it's, you know, you ask those managers, you ask those senior leaders, okay, great, it's great to hear people are coaching. I'm curious, just two quick questions. Number one. What's the universal, you asked me about these questions, Paul, what's the universal definition of coaching that has been adopted by everyone in your organization? We don't have one. Okay, number two, what is the coaching framework that you have uh, taught and empowered everyone on so they can leverage the right questions in every conversation, lead conversations with questions rather than answers, so they're empowering people to solve their own problems? Well, we don't have that either. Okay, hmm, so your people are coaching, but you don't have a coaching model, um, and you don't even have a universal definition of coaching. I'm going to go so far, let me ask you another question, the final one, Mr. and Mrs. Leader. Um, is coaching going on between your peers? What do you mean, like manager to manager? No, 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 just manager to direct. Oh, oh so there's no coaching up going on? Oh, not really. And, and how about your direct reports? Are they, are they coaching up to their managers? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm curious. I'm going to make a, a gross assumption. You probably have some departmental silos, right? Oh, yeah, of course we do. You know, sales doesn't play well with, with, with you know, uh, marketing and, and, you know, sales doesn't play well with engineering and operations and procurement. Oh, so, so um, you think maybe uh, there's a reason that possibly everyone is always showing up with their own agenda and not respecting others, which means there is no universal 
framework or mindset where if you had one, and you talk about KPIs, Paul, one KPI is if you don't, you know you have a coaching culture if you've broken down your departmental silos. There's one KPI right there, along with, you know, healthier people, you know, retention of customers, retention of clients, all the other great things that every manager wants and struggles with. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that uh, less than 1% of organizations have, have true coaching cultures. Mm -hmm. I want you to imagine that I was to beam you into two companies and a random. So there's two out there. One has a coaching culture as you mm -hmm. would see it. And the other one would be typical average company. And you were to beam in and just observe. Okay. What would you notice in the one with coaching culture versus the other one? Mm, that's, that's fantastic. So uh, you're probably gonna have to remind me and circle me back, keep me, keep me honest on this. Uh, let's talk, I wanna actually start with the other part is um, why I said companies don't have a coaching culture. And uh, it, it's, it's unfortunately sadly simple and a global epidemic. And, and again, preaching to the proverbial choir, you, you do this every day, but you know, you, you look out there and every company has targets on their back, right? And I don't care if you're, you know, a CPA firm, you know, or a tech firm, engineering firm, you all have goals. You all have revenue goals, you all have sales goals. Sales isn't a dirty word, okay? And we have to focus on these goals. The problem is the goals live in the future. Our KPIs that we have to honor live in the future. Our business objectives and sales quotas live in the future occupational hazard that every manager and salespeople I speak to are result driven. Well, here's the problem. If you're result driven, you're constantly pushing to get that result. But managers, they run around thinking, okay, I got to empower my people. So what do I do? I run around and I say, don't you want to make more money? Don't you want to make more money? Don't you want to hit your quota? Don't you want to make president's club? When in actuality, they're thinking, no, you have no idea what motivates me, boss. And the whole point is managers think that their, their salespeople are coin-operated. And when everyone is focused on the result, here's the thing. You don't coach the result. You coach the process. You coach the who, the how, the why. Then the byproduct is creating a new possibility, which is my definition of coaching, the art of creating new possibilities in every conversation. Because you're either driving your own agenda and you're closing people or you're asking the open-ended non-loaded questions the ones to which you don't know the answers to are the best ones and you're creating a new possibility and now you're coaching and just to be clear paul let's 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 be clear there's no such thing as cloaching okay you're That's either closing as cloaching you're either clo you're either closing someone or you're coaching them you can't do both at the same time Talk to me a bit more about that one, because I heard you talk about, it's actually one of your uh, toxic tactics, the difference between, or that coaching is not closing. Maybe you just expand on that for me, and, and yeah. why one is not the other. Yeah, and, and I also want to go back to, your, to, your, to the other uh, question about the, uh, the companies with no coaching culture. So, so um, I, you know, you know when, when it comes to, uh, one of the first things I do when I'm working with a team of managers is I put them through an exercise to create a baseline. And the baseline is, okay, every manager pair up and you're going to go into your room or separate room or Zoom room. And here's the exercise. Uh, for 10 minutes, each of you, you're going to switch roles, have to lead a conversation with open-ended questions, which means 
You can't ask closed-ended questions. You can't ask loaded questions or leading questions. You can share your advice, and you can provide an answer. As you can imagine, no, no manager passes this one. And that's, of course, when they're like, I don't know how to coach. This is when the learning begins. So the interesting thing is I have to remind them, okay, guys, when I say loaded leading question, let me give you an example. Hey, Paul, don't you think it would be a good idea to call the prospect and share with them a compelling reason as to why they should buy from us? Now you're thinking, what a great coaching question. They're going to know what they have to do because I just Jedi mind trick them. All right. And now, now, of course, I'm the salesperson. They're like, oh my God, Paul, I just came up with this amazing idea. I'm going to call the customer, share with them a compelling reason as to why they should buy from us. Thank you for that great coaching. I'll never forget when I was in Egypt and someone walked into the room day one. They said, Keith, listen, I, you know, I'm really excited you're here, but I'm not taking your course. I said, you're not taking my course. Why? Why? And I asked why. He said, Keith, because and quote unquote, I don't want to learn how to coach. I said, may I ask why? He said, Keith, to me, coaching is manipulation. Interesting. May I ask why? Keep peeling it the way, right? An onion. He said, because every time my boss coaches me, I feel like he's manipulating me towards his agenda, and I don't want. And that's not the kind of manager I want to be. Mm. You know, that's just sad. And most managers, you know, are victims of, you know, prodigies. You know, they're victims of their, of their prior managers. And, and, you know, at some point we have to stop and say, okay, I've been writing with my right hand my whole life. Maybe it's time to tie my right hand behind my back. It's going to be wicked uncomfortable. But I got to start writing with my left hand, i.e. changing the way I engage with my people, my customers, my peers. But it's not similar as well. It's, it's, it's a misapprehension or a misunderstanding of what coaching is about. You see it in sales as well. You hear people, oh, I'm not a salesperson. Oh, I don't want to be in sales. And then when you ask them what selling is, they'll tell you about this arch manipulative, money grabbing, selfish, self-centered SOB. And then you kind of go, well, that's not selling. <laughs> right. that's, that's somebody who's abusing a position or being manipulative and... Uh, a is not very effective, but, but but you get that a lot in, in coaching as well, where people have just this other idea. I think it's the same exact thing. To your point is I think people have such a negative view of coaching in many ways because either A, they've been coached before and it wasn't yeah. a very good experience, or B, they have certain assumptions of what coaching was. Well, I, I think I, we, we need to go back to what we talked about earlier. What yeah, you yeah. Because I think it was... No, there's a, I will circle back to that question, but it was just to emphasize this, the, the, the paradigm where people look at coaching as an event versus what you said, and I just bring you back because I think it's worth repeating, which is coaching is the language of leadership, because that paradigm is completely different. Then it becomes where, in the example you, you gave of the coach saying, don't you think it's a good idea? Well, if it's a language, then we're just changing the language to exactly. what, what do you think would be a good next step? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and it's in those moments that the coaching happens. Is that what, that's what you're saying, if I've understood oh, you? Uh, spot on. And, and, you know, it's interesting. And I'm going back to this result-driven culture before and, and why companies, you know, don't have a culture. It's because when everyone has a target on their back, they're focused on the result. So that means every time a manager has a conversation with their rep, it's, okay, how many calls did you make? How many meetings did you have? What's in your pipeline? What's going to close this month? Are, they, are those questions important? Of course they are. But so, they're not asking the process-driven questions. Yeah. What are you doing to move that deal forward? 
What's the next conversation going to sound like when you call that prospect? What are the qualifying questions you're going to use to ensure that this prospect is a fit? So Those can you are the- square that circle, though, Keith? Can you, can you, in an environment where you mentioned everybody has a target on their back, and I don't know that that's going to change anytime soon. Well, but here's the thing. But, and what can change, Paul, is this. What can change is how managers show up every day. And that's always in their power. Because the last time I checked, the one thing we have the power of, which we don't take advantage of, is the power of choice. I can choose how I respond to situations. I can choose how I engage with people. I can choose um, the level of care and attention I give to someone. And I can choose how, how I want to communicate. And if I want to communicate in a way which is going to engage people and empower them, that's my choice. The problem is when you're dealing with the results-driven culture, managers think, I don't have time to coach. So I'll just tell them what to do. And they become the quintessential chief problem-solving manager I wrote about 10 years ago. And then they wonder why. Why isn't my team accountable? Why are they disengaged? Why can't they come up with their own ideas? Well, because they're, they're saying, well, every time I go to my manager, he or she's going to do my job. And while that is one cost, what managers don't realize is the, is the extra, experiential cost, the, the deeper cost of this, which is when you give answers to people, what they're also thinking is, well, gee, boss, Um, I guess you don't have the faith and confidence in me to do my job. I guess you don't think I have the skill set to be able to get the results that, that I want. So thanks for not listening to me and telling me what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So let's come back then to the, the two organizations. Now I'm not talking about an organization, for example, that has no coaching. I'm thinking of one that, thinks they do coaching well mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. ones that you would say, no, these sure. really do well. Sure. What are the, the, the top sure. observable differences? Okay. So, so the results driven, which is every organization based because it's metrics driven breeds fear, fear-based culture. Once you have fear, I know, I don't know any managers unless I've coached them who know how to coach fear, time management, attitude, uh, mindset, because those are the things that are the most important today. So, so um, you know, looking at those companies that have a healthy coaching culture, what I see is full transparency at every level. Everyone is coaching each other. There are no department silos because everyone knows that everyone's intentions are pure. There's a level of um, connection and engagement that's happening today within that organization. Sales are going up, okay? I'm so tired of hearing that, oh, yeah, it's a different landscape out there. People aren't buying. No, no, no. It's not that people aren't buying. It's that they're buying differently. And if you haven't adjusted your sales process to how buyers like to buy, yeah, you're set up for failure. So what else makes a great coaching culture? How, you know, I spoke to a manager yesterday. He said, Keith, I had this great conversation based on what we talked about in our, in our coaching session. And you know what? Not only did it work out well, but it felt really good. Oh my gosh. Hey, managers, check this out. If you're not enjoying your job right now, that means you're not coaching. Conversely, if you are loving your job, that means you are coaching because I have yet to run into a manager who doesn't want to make their people successful, who doesn't want to contribute to their success, who doesn't want them to see that their career goes through, except we just don't know how to help them. And even though we're coming from the right place, 
we can't blame the managers because Paul, you know, and I know you see this every day is top salesman gets promoted to manager, no training, no onboarding. So what happens? Top, top, now the manager is a super salesperson. So now all the reps go to them and say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Manager, I have this issue. How should I handle it? Manager says, well, gee, hmm, I don't know how to coach, but I certainly know how to sell. So I'm going to go in my database and figure out what I did. And then I'm going to say, hey, Paul, this is what worked for me. So you should do this too. Yeah. And that is, a, that is that's the antithesis of a coaching culture. So the ones, the great managers that I work with, that I see, they realize that every conversation is a coaching conversation. They realize that they're not leading with answers, but seeking to understand other people's point of view before they share theirs. Mm. They're, they're taking the time not to bang their head against the wall and figure out what's the best incentive to offer. How am I going to hold my people accountable in a remote environment? How am I going to keep them motivated? You know, how am I going to eliminate this sense of isolation and disconnect? You're asking the wrong person, Mr. and Mrs. Manager. Ask your people. That's the conversation you need to be having today. The new, like I said, the new sales strategy, the new leadership strategy is care. And that's what everyone wants, including your customers. So what do I see? That's what I see. I hope I answered that question. Absolutely. Brilliantly. Thank you. Uh, you clearly believe coaching can be taught. Can being, is being coachable, is that something that's teachable or is it an innate trait? So uh, I don't know if you're setting me up for this one, but uh, I, 10 years ago when I wrote my first coaching book, Coaching Salespeople into Sales Champions, I had a chapter in there where I call it the A growth coaching model. A lot of people remind me of this. They're like, oh, Keith, how do you measure someone's what I call coachability index? And I had this formula in my first book. And what happened was the more I traveled and the more I worked with sales leaders, uh, we would wrap up the, the training. And, and of course, they would have their action steps and go out and enroll their people in coaching and set alignment and positive intent. And, and then they'd start coaching them. And um, what happened was, uh, the, let's say I was working with 20 managers in a room. 20 managers would, 19 of them, let's say, would respond to me and say, Keith, coaching's going great. Okay, it's awesome. You know, I, I can't believe how it's effective. People are feeling good. They're feeling empowered. They're feeling like they're trusted and valued. Their confidence is going up. It's just working phenomenally. Uh, and then that one manager would call me and say, you know what, Keith? Um, you know, I know I got those 10, 15 people on my team. You're not going to believe this. None of them are coachable. Okay, so... Mr. and Mrs. Manager, who do you think that's about? That's about the manager. So in my new book, Sales Leadership, um, I, I took a different approach. And my approach now is very simple. Everyone is coachable. Okay, managers, Mr. Manager, Mrs. Manager, you hear that? Everyone is coachable. It is up to you to uncover the coaching opportunity. But before you do that, you have to make sure you enroll them, i.e. set positive intent. Hey, Mr. or Mrs. Salesperson or Mr. Manager or Mrs. Manager, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what's in it for you. Now they understand your positive intent because especially today, uh, if people, you know, if, if, if intentions aren't clear, people default to fear. You know, so, 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 you know, just, just building off that, that model, uh, I've, I've really seen that, 
when the managers really take the time just to lead with a question and take a step back. And, you know, even the ones that haven't been trained, I mean, I put together, I put together a brand new free course on, on coaching, on how to coach for a pandemic, just to help people. You know, it's out there on you to me. And it's just something where managers have to take it into their hands, just like salespeople do. They're not getting the coaching and training. They need to seek it out. They need to go out and get it. And unfortunately, many times, especially now, they're not. Unless, again, you know, avalanches roll hill, Paul, downhill, right, Paul? So good good coaching culture starts from the top. You know, it starts from the top. You asked me, Keith, if I set you up for that question. There's only one thing I set you up for, Keith. That's that. That's the only thing. <laughs> I thought I thought by now you'd find that other picture of me on the beach. It's like, oh geez. We, we want to talk about this. Um, I, do you guys have in the states? When I was in school, we had this thing. If you didn't do your homework, there was a euphemism you could use. It said the dog ate my homework. You'd use that in the in the U.S., right? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. I, I'm not joking. When you see that little bit that's uh, torn out of the, the, the cover, that was my dog. Got so excited to realize that Keith's book had finally arrived, went and attacked the post. And he wanted to read it. He wanted to read it. Yeah, so now you get that. I, I read a little bit to my to Alfie every single night. <laughs> well, funny you say that. I, I, I got a COVID dog myself. Uh, and now uh, a, a cute little, they're called Miki, M-I-K-I. And uh, they're like live little teddy bears. And of course, you know, my kids are like, oh, you're the big guy, dad. You're the one that said you wanted a big dog. And now like you got this little dog that's wrapped around your yeah. finger. And, and she is. And you know what? She coach, I don't know if it's called coaching, but she certainly manipulates me uh, to, yeah. do what, to do what she wants. Yeah. But they're not dogs, Monkey. They're snacks. <laughs> well, next time I'll bring her on, then you'll yeah. decide. I, I, we, well, we had a dog before the pandemic hit and th- we had two actually and one of them sadly died back in oh, May sorry. and uh, we we went out kind of in that <laughs> what do they call it when you a rebound dog excuse me mm. <clears throat> I shouldn't say that that's terrible <laughs> but we went and, uh, we went to this uh, rescue home where they where they have greyhounds mm. after a couple of years they, they the people if, they, if they're not winning races they just get rid of them <clears throat> excuse me and so we looked at this dog, and it was seven years, and it was a really big greyhound. And my, I went with my daughter, and they showed us the dog in a field, which is right next to the kennels. So in a big field, the dog, okay, it looked big, but, you know, it's a big empty field. So we, I said, have you anything younger? She said, we have this two-year-old greyhound. So she went in, and the greyhound was smaller than the bigger one. But it's still a greyhound. But it, in the field, it didn't look big. So... She got into the, I said, I'll take her, into the back of the car, got home, and I was only getting out of the car in the driveway at home at the front door when my wife answered and she looked down and I went, yeah, it's a bit bigger than we planned. A greyhound is a big, and, and fast. Yeah. It said, oh, we, we were only learning about the dog on the way home in the car. My daughter was reading and she was saying, did you know this, Dad? She says <laughs> that greyhounds are the only dog they said don't have a cat because a cat can't outrun a greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Fantastic. Tell me, uh, pick a number between 1 and 15. 12. 12. What we're going to do is look at the toxic tactics. And toxic tactic in the sales leadership book, Keith, is getting suckered by these two common... <laughs> this is great. Phrases. That was it. Sorry, let me get repeat. So toxic tactic number 12 is getting suckered by these two common phrases. Tell us about that, Keith. Uh, we'll tee up the two phrases. I believe one of them is, I've tried everything. 
Yes. And I believe the other one is, I don't know. Yes, that's it. Yep. Uh, so, so I passed my own quiz? You did. It's, it's, I okay. don't know it's the first one in the book, but okay. yep, you, got them. you got them. That's the okay. important Okay. So, so let's, let's start with I don't know. Uh, I'm going to make every manager's life easier, okay? And you can use this it, with your customers, direct reports, peers, anyone. Uh, I'm going to give you, a, I used to call it the 60-second coaching strategy, but now it's the 30-second coaching strategy. And I'm from New York. Paul, you're from Ireland. You and I have a tendency to talk a little faster. I'm going to even slow it down. So here we go. I have one of my directs come to me and they're looking for help. Hey boss, you know, here's my issue. Tell me what to do. Here we go. 30 seconds. Time it. Hey, Paul, listen, I really appreciate you coming to me and I'm happy to share my opinion with you. However, you're much closer to this than I am. And I trust you and I trust your judgment. So what's your opinion on how to handle this and achieve the results you want? Was it under 30 seconds, right? Yeah. So, so now here's the thing. Managers can do that all day long. And yeah. if you just do that, you will see the, not only the power of, that you will, oh my God, my people actually know how to do their job, yeah. but they're going to feel really good about it because they're now leaving saying, my boss trusts me. They have confidence in me. And what do you think that's going to do to their confidence? So if you have time to give an answer, you have time to ask that one question. Now, here's the thing. You might say, hey, what's your opinion on how to handle this? And, uh, handle this? and they say, I don't know. My favorite one. Yeah, I don't know. And what happens is managers always take the bait. Oh, you don't know. Well, now, now they got the license to be the chief problem solver and share their infinite years of wisdom and experience, right? Managers don't take the bait because your people know when they say that, you're going to tell them what to do. And the real kicker is when you give them the answer and they execute on it and it doesn't work, guess whose fault it is? It's yours. You've robbed your people of accountability. So you know, getting, getting back to this 30-second strategy, um, again, now once you do that, so I know some managers are thinking, okay, wait, Keith, but what happens? It's great if they have the right answer, better answer than I even thought, shocker. We'll run with it. But what happens if their answer is half-baked or not baked? Here's your response. What you don't say is, how long have you been on this job? You've been selling for how many years? No, no, no. That's going to violate trust. What you're going to say is, hey, you know, Paul, really appreciate you sharing your opinion with me. How about we walk through this together and together we ensure we create the best strategy for you to achieve the results you want. Now it's a collaboration and it's not an interrogation. Yeah. And that's what managers do. They put the spotlight on their people and they interrogate them. And nobody likes to be interrogated. Yeah. So, you know, you, you take that and, and going back to, you know, the, the, the whole point of, you know, um, the, that you brought up the toxic is, well, I don't know. Here's the thing. Notice I didn't say, what's your solution? What's your answer? What's the strategy? Because solutions, answers, and strategies can be right or wrong. Opinions are not right or wrong. And everyone has them. Yep. Okay, what's your opinion? Favorite food, favorite place to travel, favorite movie, favorite sport. You, people, opinions are not right or wrong. So they, you can't, they can't say, well, wait, you don't have your own opinion? Everyone has an opinion. And that's why you create a safe place for them to share it and then a safe place for them to walk through it. So that's the first one. Something that I learned from you back in 2012 
was it, and, and it's part two of what you were speaking about a moment ago where somebody comes to you and you say well look you're much closer to this issue what are your thoughts and they say I don't know maybe you could share your you, you have a magic little <laughs> follow-up to to that I think and it works brilliantly I've used it many times with my colleagues and it's you, you kind of I was always expecting them to turn around and go that's Right, but they never do. It's they weird. Just, let's just share that because I think it's. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Well, if you did know, what would it be? Yeah. And managers, they they hear this and they start laughing. Like, Keith, that's a ridiculous question. But Paul, to your point, is people might take a step back and say, hmm, only because no one's ever asked them that question. But you'll always get a response. Yeah. You'll always get a response because you know I don't know is a smokescreen. Yeah. You know, so yeah, so so and then uh, shall we shift over to the uh, I've tried everything one now, or did you have uh, something? No, else I could share? That. Please share that one. Yeah, so uh, I've tried everything. Uh, managers come to me, Keith. I've tried everything to turn this person around. Salespeople go to their managers, Mr. or Mrs. Manager. I've tried everything to close this deal. Okay. Let's break this down. It is a mathematical impossibility to have tried everything. It's impossible. So what managers do when they hear this from their people, because they don't have those open-ended questions to uh, explore more and gather all the facts, I say, oh, you tried everything, huh? Okay. Um, uh, make sure you got in touch with the decision makers, right? Of course I did. Okay, okay. Um, and you shared a compelling reason as to why they should talk to us? Absolutely. Okay. And you, you, I know you did a good job qualifying. You've been doing this for years. Come on. Come on, Keith. I qualified the heck out of them. Okay, great. And um, at the end of that meeting, um, you affirm that this is something that they want to move forward with. Uh, and you've also um, smoked out all the concerns, if any, that would prevent uh, them from working with you. Come on. Of course I did that. Well, darn it. I guess we'll get them next time. And that's what these bloody pipeline and deal reviews sound like, and it's a waste of time. The manager learned nothing. They just ask closed-ended questions, and the salesperson is just sharing what they said. The only problem is, is now they're going to say, you see, boss, I tried everything. But what the manager never did was say, how did you do it? Because that's the difference between an A player and a C player. Because, you know, A players don't always do different things. They do things differently, you know, and that's why you can look at a spreadsheet and say, well, my A player is engaging in the same amount of activity as my C player. Well, then why is my A player an A player and a C player a C player? Yeah. When, when they say I've tried everything, great. Not have you tried, what have you tried? Walk me. Sorry, walk, I, I jumped on on that. I've yeah. Okay. Walk me through what you've tried, open-ended, non-loaded. The next one is how did you do it? What did the conversation sound like with that customer? When they push back, how did you respond? That's, that's when you get deeper into uncovering coaching opportunities so that you can also uncover the areas that need to be addressed so that they win the next deal. So we have uh, time for just one more toxic tactic out mm -hmm. of 15. Pick another number between one and 15. Oh, mash. You know, I know there's a good one I want to talk about, but I, I'm trying to remember which one. You know, you know how it is when you write a book and you give it away. It's like, you, know, you never want to see it again. 
tell me the one you're thinking of, and we'll see if he gets the right number. Oh, well, let's see. I'm going to say one and two are coaching your own image and making assumptions. So one and two is close. I failed. One image is number three. Okay. How about we do one? How about we do one and three? One, two, and one, three, and four, maybe. Okay. Uh, First one was nine painfully stupid, disempowering words. And sorry, yeah, nine painfully stupid, disempowering words to stop using. Yeah. So, so, and and uh, if any manager has a conversation and are beginning questions with, why aren't you? Why can't you? Why won't you? Why don't you? Why are you unable to? Why wouldn't you? Why didn't you? Those are all words you need to remove from your vocabulary. Because all those, and I'm laughing because when you hear the, the, the irony and the insanity behind this, you'll see is, think about it. Every time I ask a manager or a salesperson, why aren't you going to achieve your quota this year? Think about what you've just done. You've just given them the license to use excuses. Well, actually, Mr. and Mrs. Manager, I have 57 reasons why I'm not going to hit my number this year. Thank you so much for giving me the license to use those excuses. So that's all you're asking. So we need to turn those around to how can you? Why will you? What do you need to do to achieve these goals? What needs to change in order for you to achieve better results the next time? So those are those disempowering words right there. Interesting. And number two, we were going to talk about is, no, we've talked about that. Are you coaching people or closing them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and three, coaching in your own image. Mm. Yeah, so it, I always find that uh, uh, when I ask managers, tell me, about your, tell me about your job, they'll say, oh, Keith, you know, I manage a team of, you know, let's say 10 salespeople. And I'd always challenge them back. And I would say, well, actually, you're not. And they would say, well, what do you mean? I say, no, you're, you're not managing 10 salespeople. You're managing 10 individuals who happen to share the same job function. Now, that might be a subtle distinction, but it's a very important one of how the, manage, how the manager shows up and how the manager coaches and supports their people. So, for example, I know like you and I, pretty direct people. And I know that if, if you and I had a manager, I know how I would, if you were my manager, I would say, hey, Paul, listen, let me tell you how I want to be managed. Just give it to me straight. I don't have time. For, you don't have to give me the, you know, all the airy fairy puppy stuff, you know, I, just, just give it to me straight. Hit me in between the head. Tell me where I messed up. Tell me what, what I need to do. And I'm out and I'm doing it. You do that to some people, you will make them cry. And I've had managers say I've made them cry. And they would say to me, but Keith, that's how I like to be managed. That's how I like to be motivated. That's how I like to be held accountable. Well, guess what? It's not about you. It's about them because people aren't motivated by what you want. They're motivated by what they want. Don't you want to make more money? No, I don't. I'm actually very happy. Don't you want to get promoted? Actually, I love my job. I need autonomy. Okay. Now we're coaching in our own image. And what that's going to sound like is, hey, listen, this worked for me. So you should do this too. And unfortunately, now we're building many, many, you know, many knees and robots rather than tapping into people's individuality. So uh, I'm just going to share uh, one point on this that I hope people could remember is 
if you are using the word should as in, hey, listen, this is what I did, you should do this too. Uh, take the word should out of your vocabulary because that's a good sign that you're coaching in your own image and pushing your own agenda. So said another way, stop shooting on people, okay? Because the should is the excrement of your agenda. Oh, I like it. I like it. I like it. Very good. Yeah, very good. Tell me, Keith, we are almost up on time, so I really want to ask you this. Behind you on the wall, there's, a, there's guitars, there's sports memorabilia. If your house was burning down right now and assuming that your family were safe and you could only grab one item, what would it be and why? Maybe oh you could God. grab something and share the story behind it. I got sports memorabilia here because, of course, what are the two things that connect everyone in the world? Music and sports. Of course. Of course. Uh, Let's start with the guitars then. You could only grab one guitar. Everything else is safe. Uh, I'll have to go with my Gibson. I'd have to go with the Les Paul, even though my strats. Uh, this is um, a heavier, deeper sound if you're playing more uh, classic rock uh, and jamming. That's, uh, I mean, that's, that's the only guitar, I mean, to play Rolling Stones. That's, that's, that's it. it gives you a nice, nice country twang sound to it, beautiful yeah. sound. So those two, and then in memorabilia-wise, I don't know if you can see behind me here, I got a signed uh, uh, picture of Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Uh, and uh, what do I have, I think, on this side? Oh, Derek Jeter signed autograph. But, you know, again, I'm looking around. It's, it, my office is like a, a shrine of experiences. But I would have to say, looking up where you can see, I actually have things from, I have a 5,000 uh, piece of pottery that I got in Egypt from the pyramids. Um, that, that's pretty meaningful to me. And I would say the meaningful things are the ones that really speak to the experiences that I've had. Um, you know, I'm looking here at something I got in Argentina, uh, when I was in um, uh, Italy, uh, uh, where else? I mean, everywhere I've gone in the world. But, you know, it's interesting. Now, as I'm looking back, I would say probably the one thing that I might keep would be what my wife made for me over the pandemic, which I took all of my ticket stubs of every concert I've ever went to. I fortunately had the, had the wherewithal to save them. And she framed them all. And I have three frames because I had too many. Uh, but that right there, um, you know, I, I would say to you, how about this, Paul? Pick one of the greatest rock bands of all time. Okay. While we were alive, pick one. Go ahead, pick one. Eagles. Some. Pick another one. Uh, Rolling Stones. Saw them several times. Pick another one. You too. Saw them in Ireland, baby. Wow. Fleetwood so Mac. I can keep going. What? They're not rock and roll, but Fleetwood Free Mac. Uh, met, I met, I actually have the pass. I met, I went backstage, met, met them. Uh, I, sp I spent a lot of times with, uh, uh, Collective Soul, uh, um, uh, I don't know if these, these are the 90 grunge bands, Everclear and Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. So. Um, favorite guitarist? Joe Garcia, uh, now Trey Anastasio from Fish. Oh, and by the way, uh, you too. Uh, not only that, I got the Who. Uh, uh, wow. And here is one of my favorites that I lucked out. Not Led Zeppelin, but I got to see Page and Plant on stage. Oh, wow, wow, and wow. That, you really have yeah. experienced it all. Oh, right? yeah. Green, Green Day, Green Day at uh, the Berlin Wall. Wow. All right, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, like the, I like the kind of, yep. Pick one band. I've seen them all. I like that. Tell me, <laughs> tell me something. You you play guitar, right? Mm -hmm. They're not just a decoration. No. Um, if you were to 
And my final question for you. If you were to have a song written in your honor after you've gone, what would the title be? It's interesting. The first word that, that came into my head was love. You know, it's one of my core values. You know, we talk about bringing music together. We talk about uh, sports together. I mean, love is people is a universal language. And, yep. you know, even, even coming to today, you know, I, I wrote an article that love is actually the new corporate value, the new dominant value. And, and we mistake love with interpersonal relationships, but I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Love is synonymous, synonymous with care, dependability, okay, selflessness. And isn't that what we're all looking for today? And, and if we could just take a step back and, and, you know, here, you know, I'm in your home, Paul, right? And you're in my home. And um, I find it fascinating that, and, and, and not, not fascinating, I say it's sad that companies still haven't recognized the need to teach their people the deeper critical conversations they need to have with customers in their directs. For example, you're in my home right now, all right? Um, you're, you're a self-aware person. So half of our conversation was built on just you looking in my, in my personal home office. You're living in my home. When I'm calling a prospect, when I'm having a conversation with one of my directs, I'm living in their home. So I'm seeing if they're working in a closet. I'm seeing if they have a home office. I'm seeing if they're in the kitchen and the kids are running around. I'm seeing if you know, they have, they've worn the same shirt for a week. I'm seeing if they look stressed out. I'm seeing if there's piles of stuff in their office. Are you going to tell me you're not going to address that? And the managers, they're, 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 they're reluctant because they've been conditioned so long that these are the HR conversations we're not allowed to have. Well, guess what? Rules have changed. All right. So if you want to connect with your people deeper, you want to connect with your customers deeper, you're living in their home, take advantage of what you see, then have those deeper conversations. You can even put something, you know, this is something I coach uh, managers on or even salespeople when you're having a meeting. Just like Paul, you asked me, put something really interesting. I have too many things. Put something really interesting, uh, you know, in your frame that they might say, what is that over there? How else, you know, again, you can't automate relationships. That seems like a good place to leave it, Keith. Keith, I want to thank you so much for sharing oh, your time with me today and your stories. You are a legend. In, in, <laughs> you absolutely are. You are the gold. And uh, I, I, I feel today that I had two guests for the price of one. I had Keith Rosen and I had Keith Posen. I, had <laughs> I love you, man. I, I, you're just going to keep throwing that in me. I love it. That's great. That's great. I, I, I am. Uh, do you know what? It's not I'm throwing it at you. I'm trying to come to terms that my wife looked at that and went. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to do, hey. right? So that when hey. I go home, I go, yeah, Keith's a good guy, man, you know. Hey, don't, don't hate the player, right? Don't hate the player. Exactly. Hate the game. Exactly. Hate, you know, I'm going to use it as motivation. I'm now going to put a picture so that when I wake up in the morning, there it is. And then both. Yeah. You want, and you want to know what? I've actually had friends, you know, and, and I truly believe, you, it, you know, you can't take someone where you haven't been yourself as a coach, physically, financially, mentally, spiritually, relationship-wise, relationship and I take extreme self-care very personally and uh, model it for, for my clients, for my family. And, um, you know, it, you know, you, you got to ask yourself where you want to be in a year from now or 10 years from now, you know, because, you know, the choices we made yesterday is what brought us here today created the life we have today. The choices we make today will create our life and legacy that we have tomorrow. So, you know, whatever I can do to inspire, um, that's that I'm doing, then I'm doing my job. So, so thank you for that. And, uh, 
certainly make sure everyone here uh, is walking away with some value and wishing yeah. them extreme success and safety and uh, health and happiness. Keith, there's a lot of BS artists in the industry. You balance out all of them. Your authenticity, your sense of purpose, the fact you're the real deal makes you worth checking out. So thank you. And uh, I, I guess for people who want to get in contact, you LinkedIn or are there other ways you'd like them to get yeah, in contact? Yeah, yeah. And I really deep, deeply appreciate what you just said, Paul. It does mean a lot to me. And uh, yeah, uh, so my blog, KeithRosen.com, company site, ProfitBuilders.com. Uh, make sure you go on KeithRosen.com to download my new book, The 60-Second Sales Coach. It has over 600 coaching questions, so no manager can tell me I don't have the questions anymore. Uh, I also am launching a new free program because I want to uh, just give as much as I can away because there are so many people struggling today. And it's um, entitled How, uh, How Managers uh, Coach Salespeople. Uh, remote salespeople through a pandemic and uh, I'm going to be uh, sharing that link live soon and I'll have it on my on my website so make sure uh, sign up sure. for my newsletter jump on the website you'll find the link there okay I'll put all those links below and now that you're in a giving yeah. away mood I'll have the Gibson thank you very much oh thank you my friend I have appreciate it make sure you connect uh, with me on LinkedIn and Twitter everyone and uh, stay safe healthy I wish you all extreme success